0: So to that end, it's my pleasure to introduce our preacher this morning. Uh, Dr. Matthew Kim is a brother in Christ. He is married to his wife, Sarah, since 2002. Uh, They have three children, Ryan, Evan, and Aiden. Matt is Associate Professor of Preaching and Ministry at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary uh, near Boston. Uh, Matt has 10 years of pastoral ministry experience, and his Ph.D. is from the University of Edinburgh in the U.K., Matt has written extensively, uh, over a hundred articles and reviews on preaching and ministry and disciple making. And uh, I've just appreciated Matt's generous, approachable, and humble spirit. And I first became acquainted with Matt through his writing. Uh, Among his books are a text for pastors in their first year of ministry, uh, and also a preaching text called Preaching with Cultural Intelligence. Preaching with Cultural Intelligence. And it's a book about how preachers can better understand the cultures of those who hear their sermons. And uh, how relevant that is in our context because we have over 30 nations in our congregation. And many are represented by the flags that you saw as you entered our worship center. And so uh, Matt is uh, going to be lecturing with the Urbana Theological Seminary's annual preaching forum... On the topic of preaching with cultural intelligence, and uh, I've also invited Matt to nourish us this morning with the words. So, Matt, I'm going to pray over you, brother, and then uh, we're, we're we're ready to hear from you. So, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our gathering here. Um, and thank you, Lord. You uh, are you are a. You're a, a sovereign king, and you are a serving God. You serve us and sustain us, and now you're going to nourish us with your word uh, through your servant, Matt. Pray that he would get out of the way so that what you once said gets said for your glory and our good, and the church said, amen.
1: What a joy it is for me to be here this morning. Thank you for the invitation, Pastor Randy, and if you didn't invite me, I'm here anyway. Uh, I want to begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into uh, God's word together. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, speak your truth to us, Lord. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Well, I grew up down the road in a town called Chicago, so I have I've come here several times over the years, and it's always a delight to be uh, in Urbana-Champaign. I had cousins who went here. Uh, I should have come here, but I didn't. Uh, But I'm now here uh, to be with you all today. One of the things I want to do to begin is to get our heart pumping a little bit, maybe get our mind active, uh, get our body into worship. So if you're able to stand, I'd like for you to stand with me. And we're going to begin with a cheer. Now, I remember suffering long with many of you and seeing the last Super Bowl in 1985, won by the Chicago Bears. Uh, I've also suffered long with you as a Cubs fan and seeing glory happen in 2016, uh, staying up uh, way past my bedtime uh, to watch the Cubs win the World Series. So uh, I want you to think about This opportunity to be wherever you think is the most glorious place in terms of a a stadium. Where would you like to be? Uh, Not not this moment, but if you were at at a stadium, how would you cheer for your favorite team? And I want you to really get into it as I lead us in a cheer. Shout back the letters that I call out to you, okay? So let me begin. Give me an S. S. Give me a U. U. Give me a C. Give me a C, C. give me an E, E. give me an S, S. give me an S, S. what's that spell? What's that spell? What's that spell? All right, thank you, you can have a seat. Success. Success is a beautiful word. If you actually say the word success, it makes your mouth smile, it curls upward. Success is what we're taught from a young age. At least in North America, we're taught by our parents, by society, by schools, by every system possible, that we are designed and created to be a success. But I don't know about you, but I I have not always experienced success. In fact, sometimes in life, we don't experience success. In fact, many times we don't experience success. We actually experience another word that begins with S, and then it also has the letter U. But then instead of saying C, it turns a drastic uh, downward turn into F, F, E, R, and closing with I-N-G. Much of life deals with suffering, And as I've been praying about what to bring in terms of God's word this morning, as much as I would love to talk about success, even in the ways that the world defines success, God does not call us to a life of success. He calls us to a life of discipleship. He calls us to a life where no matter what the circumstances are, surrounding us and in a daily pattern we go through our day and in moments of great suffering, the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is how we suffer. And I wonder what the Apostle Paul had to say about that. How did Paul deal with suffering in the midst of great suffering? What was his response to it? How did he see himself living out the gospel in the most darkest times of his life? How did he respond to Jesus' invitation to come and die, to be a person who's not successful but actually suffers successfully? Will you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter one? How did Paul? Respond to suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start looking at verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3 begins, Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, It is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we will set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. God is to be praised in the midst of our suffering. In fact, Paul says, praise be to the God of all comfort." When was the last time you went through suffering and your first response was one of praise? If you're like me, when I go through hard times, I grumble. Why is this happening to me? Doesn't God know that I've gone through enough? Where is God? Why doesn't He hear my prayers? I grumble. I grumble. And I grumble some more. As if grumbling makes me feel better. And Paul says, stop your grumbling. Focus on God and praise him. Dear church, God is calling us to a life of praise. Praise doesn't just happen when we sing songs that are put on the screen behind us. Praise is in A life of overflowing. Where even in our most desperate, difficult moments, we praise God. And this God is to be praised in verse 3. But why is Paul saying he deserves praise? It says he is the father of compassion and a God of all comfort. Can you say all with me? All. Now all means all in every language that you might speak. In Korean, it's modern. In Portuguese, it's todos. In whatever language you speak, it may be German, alles. All means all in every language. And no matter what you're going through today, God is reminding you that he is not a God who has abandoned you. He he is the God of compassion and a God of all comfort. And for that reason... We can praise him. He uses the word comfort in some form eight times in this passage. It's the word that is used in reference to the Holy Spirit that God is enduring with you. He is suffering with you. He has not left you alone. He is with you in the midst of your hardship. God is the God of all compassion in all comfort. And that's why you and I can praise him. Even when it's hard. Now I know some of you are thinking, I didn't come to church to hear about suffering. In fact, I don't like hearing messages about suffering. I want to hear messages about success. So let's stop the message. Turn it around, Matt. Talk about success. But it's in suffering that we see who the true Christians are are who depend on God and some of us may be thinking I've been a Christian a long time I've come to church I participate in life of the congregation, I pray, I I give offering, I take communion, I serve God, shouldn't I be exempt from suffering, have you ever thought that, just be honest, have you ever thought I'm, I'm exempt, right God I should be exempt and sometimes I have felt that way Lord, I've given you my life. I'm a servant of God. I've given you 43 years of ministry. Shouldn't I be exempt? I think of Johnny Erickson Tata, the woman who in her teen years dove and hit the water but didn't know that there were rocks underneath and became permanently paralyzed. Quadriplegic in fact. And for the last 60 years, she has been traveling around talking about her suffering. I think of a man named Nabil Qureshi, who just a couple of years ago was considered the greatest evangelist of our time, especially for the Muslim people. And as a Muslim convert, he was radically transforming how we communicate the gospel to Muslims. And at the age of 34, after a rapid case of stomach cancer, succumbed to it at the age of 34. We question God. God, why would you allow that to happen? Why would you allow that to happen to someone like Johnny Erickson And How would you let that happen to someone like Nabeel Qureshi? Shouldn't they be exempt when they're doing such good work? About eight years ago, I've gone through a series of suffering and if I can just share with you briefly I'd like to just share some of the ways that God has allowed me to go through some suffering that I didn't invite into my life after pastoral ministry as pastor Randy shared I started teaching at Gordon-Conwell where I actually went to seminary and on the night that I was installed as a teacher there I went to go play basketball which is the third love of my life God, family, basketball. And that evening, I didn't see the ball coming straight from my head at full speed, and it hit me on the left side of the head. And almost eight years now, I've been dizzy. From the moment I get up till I go to sleep and fall asleep, I am dizzy. My brain feels like it's moving all the time. And the worst moments are times like now where I just have to stand still or sit still. I wonder, God, why am I not healed yet of a concussion syndrome? And during that time, they were doing all kinds of tests, and they found out that I had glaucoma, undiagnosed glaucoma for many years, and that's why I didn't see the ball coming at my head at full speed because I didn't see it because I had lost so much peripheral vision. So one day I'm bracing myself for the day that I may see no more. But four years ago, the worst tragedy of my life happened when my younger brother who was living in and working in the Philippines was brutally murdered. And at the age of 36, he was celebrating his birthday and on the night that he was celebrating his 36th birthday, some people took his life. The case was closed after a month because of the corruption. We knew that it was foul play. They said it was an accident. And we haven't received any kind of closure for this pain. Suffering comes to us all. And if we haven't already gone through it, it will come to us. And the question is how does the Christian respond? How does the Christian respond? How is the Christian any different from the people of this world? It's how we respond to suffering. And Paul tells us that it's in praising God that we define ourselves as people who are different from the rest of the world. It's in our praise of God in the midst of his comfort that enables the Christian to move beyond any circumstance. Two weeks ago, my dad was diagnosed with cancer, in an aggressive form. Some of you have cancer. Some of you know loved ones who are suffering through cancer. How do we respond? How do we respond? And it says, praise God. Not only that, not only does he tell us to praise him, he tells us in verse 5, look with me there. He says, put your hope in God and receive his comfort. It says in verse 5, For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. And then he tells us basically in any kind of situation, we are to ask God for comfort and he is is available. It says, says, If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. But notice verse 7. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. The word overflow here has the meaning of an ancient balance sheet. Now, how many of you... Uh, occasionally, you look at your credit card statements. <laughs> sure, many of us do at some point. We wonder, how did that charge get there? But you think about a balance sheet, and there is positive and negative, right? You want more positive in the in the bank account than you have going out, right? That's just normal logic. As you think about This ancient balance sheet, what Paul is describing for us is an ancient balance sheet where he says that here is the column of suffering and here is the column of comfort. And he tells us that when we put our faith in Christ and when we suffer with Christ, what happens is that the the column of comfort overflows into the column of suffering. So that Jesus' comfort basically smooshes out and squashes and pushes out the suffering It overflows into the column of suffering so that when we put our hope and joy and faith and suffer with Christ, that column spills over into the suffering so that we can put all of our suffering onto Christ. And this morning, I don't know all the different ways that you might be suffering. It might be relational, physical, physical. Emotional, psychological, financial, spiritual. There are all kinds of sufferings that we go through. And Paul says, put your hope in God and receive his comfort. For just as we receive comfort, we must know that with comfort comes suffering. The question is, where do you and I look for comfort? There's a new book by Robia Scott called Counterfeit Comforts. And in this book, she talks about the natural human desires and remedies for suffering. And she says that one of the comforts that people go after is being, becoming a workaholic. To numb the pain, we just work ourselves because we don't want to think about the ways that we are suffering today. She says that for others, it's exercise, and they just exercise and exercise and exercise to get rid of some of the stress and to be able to focus on something different. And then she says, which is my problem, she says that some people pursue ice cream <laughs> and desserts and sweets, because that temporarily, at least, gets me thinking about the yumminess in my mouth and not the messed up problems in my head. <laughs> but what is it that you go after? What is it that you pursue? How do you look for comfort in this life? I still remember when my brother passed and my mom called me. She was telling me that she needed some comfort. And as she was talking to me, probably for about 20, 30 minutes, I just listened. And then she said, hey, Matt, you know what happened the other day? This was not very long after all this tragedy happened. She called her friend, who she thought was a really good friend. And the lady said to her, Sue, get over it. How do we respond to suffering? How do we go after looking For comfort. All these other forms of comfort are temporary. They're fleeting. In fact, sometimes it doesn't even become comfort. We get scarred even more. And Paul tells us here in this passage that when we put our hope in God, we receive His comfort. And he tells us in verse 9, indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. And as you read through the letter of 2 Corinthians, you know that in this letter, this is a letter of his personal testimony talking about all of the different ways he has suffered for Christ. He t- names them in chapter 6. He goes into great detail in chapter 11 of all the different ways that he has suffered for Christ. And he says, indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on whom? God, you can't get out of your situation on your own. You can't comfort yourself. Nobody can comfort you. Who can comfort you? God. And this is the testimony in this final part of the sentence. He says, who raises the dead? That is his solution. Christ Jesus Christ is the one who can help us. Christ is the one we can come to. Jesus is the one, the only one, who can take our suffering, and he puts it upon himself, and he says, I have died for the sin. I have died for this pain. I can comfort you alone. So while family is good, and while books are good, and while work is good, and while exercise is good, and while ice cream is really good, Nothing can satisfy the pain. God can. And the testimony is real. It says, who raises the dead. Continuing in verse 10, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. He will continue to deliver us. Time and time again. When you run to God and you run to Jesus... Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he will help you through this time, no matter what it is. But he doesn't leave us there. It's not a selfish, oh, it's just about my pain and suffering. He asks us to respond in community. So he first tells us in verse 3, put your hope in God, praise him. He tells us to receive his comfort. And then he tells us finally in the latter parts of this passage, That we are to respond in community. And he tells us, comfort all with the hope that you have received from the God of all comfort. Look with me to verse 11. It says, as you help us by your prayers. So it's not that we don't pursue any form of human consolation and comfort. We do share our pain with others. But we don't just vent about our pain. It says that we are to be responding in community as we pray for one another. As the body of Christ comes together in prayer, he is able to help us. And he says, when we respond in this way, then many will give thanks on our behalf. For the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Dear church, don't stop praying. When you don't get an answered prayer, don't stop praying. Pursue God even more. Don't give up on God. God is with you. He wants to comfort you. He will continue to comfort you. Keep meeting together. Keep praying together. Keep being the community of God. Because it says that as we do so, many will give thanks. The unbelieving world will give thanks when Christians respond to suffering differently from the ways that they do? Do you pray together as a church? Do you pray in small groups? Do you share your suffering with one another? Please continue to do so. Please continue to invite other people into that pain as you seek the Lord together. I decided to call someone, too, when I had gone through this tragedy. And I called my former church member in Colorado, where I was a pastor. And this brother in Christ and his family had gone through immense suffering. At the age of one and a half years, his youngest son was diagnosed with a rare genetic disease called HLH. Basically, one by one, all of your organs begin to fail, and you will die. And that's what happened to their youngest son. Before his second birthday, he passed away from HLH organ failure and during those six months leading up to his death i was with them in the hospital regularly and especially that final week and peter and grace these dear beloved sister and brother didn't know how to respond to the pain except with worship And I still remember my wife and I were there at the hospital, and we were sitting near them as they received. uh, My wife was sitting in between the the couple as they received the news that their son was going to die in just a a matter of moments. And I came in, and I I looked at them, and I saw their response. They were on their hands and knees, turning on the song, I will praise you in the storm by casting crowns. And they were lifting up their hands in the air, praising God, singing these songs, I will praise you in the storm. I will praise you in the storm. I will praise you in the storm. How do you respond like that when your son's about to die? It's because they understood that Christians respond to suffering with praise. So I called Peter. I said, "Peter, my brother Tim was brutally murdered," and the the phone went silent for a little bit. And he said, "Pastor Matt, I will never stop praying for you." And day after day, Peter sent me text messages not of just cliches and good words. He sent me text messages of God's word, scripture passages, verses that reminded me of God's goodness. And those verses sustained me for a good two weeks as every day he texted me another verse, another reminder of how good God is. Dear family of God, your pain is real and your pain is hard. But how do you respond to it? We respond with praise. We respond with prayer. Those are the two distinguishing marks of a disciple. How are you doing today? How are you suffering? Are you suffering successfully? Are you just grumbling and complaining? Have you lost faith? That's a very real response. Paul reminds us today to comfort others with the hope that you have received from the God of all comfort. Will you choose to do that today? In response to your pain, God is calling out, my child, my child, I love you. I have not left you. I am here for you. I weep with you. I mourn over your pain, but I have not left you. I am with you to the very end of the age. Comfort all with the hope that you have received from the God of all comfort. Let's join in prayer together. I'm very sorry for the, for the pain that you are going through today. I know because it hurts. It hurts so much. And yet, the comfort that we can receive from God is so great. And it's not temporary, it is ongoing, it will continue. So I invite you to pray with me. Father, we come before you today recognizing that some of us are going through really hard times. And it seems that no measure of human interaction can bring us the comfort that we need. Father, we confess that sometimes we have pursued other things rather than you in our desire for comfort. Father, I pray for this family of God that you would come and intercede in each person's heart and life. That you'll remind them of how precious they are in your sight. How deeply you love them. How immensely you love them that you even sent your only son to die on the cross. So that we might have our broken relationship restored with you. And that same love that held Jesus on the cross is available to us today that deep, immeasurable love. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to come minister to your people today. Comfort, bring hope, bring endurance, perseverance, even joy in the midst of pain, and praise. Because we want to be more like Jesus. We want to look like your disciples that you've called us to be. So help us, God. In some ways, it takes supernatural ability to be able to praise you in storms. Father, we ask that you do the impossible in our lives. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for this reminder. We ask that you would meet each person where they are and help us to fight suffering with praise. in the name of Jesus that the church prays. Amen.